Jesus was a prayer. As you read through the Gospels, it is clear that Jesus often prayed. Dr. Luke, in chapter 5 of his Gospel, writes, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Jesus prayed prior to big events, before choosing his 12 apostles, before raising Lazarus from the dead, before going to the cross to do the work he was sent to do by his Father. Jesus prayed in private. We don't know those prayers. We don't know how many times he did that, but he did it often. Jesus prayed with his disciples. In a gathering over a large meal, he prayed what's called the high priestly prayer found in John 17. Perhaps his most profound and lengthy prayer of all, and one that included even us. Read it at your leisure. Jesus prayed with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus prayed in public. Among those public prayers were three times from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus was a prayer. For many people, prayer is challenging. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked by people in the churches I've been privileged to serve to help them to learn to pray, especially to pray in public settings. I also can't tell you how many times I've had to pick up the pieces of a person who was asked to pray in public. They were asked publicly when everybody was there, not ahead of time, and with embarrassment declined that request. They didn't really know how to pray. And prayer can be a time of awkwardness. I remember being told about a midweek prayer service where someone requested prayer for a female neighbor who was having a very difficult time and was feeling miserable. And a man said, I'll pray for her. And he began a fervent prayer by saying, Oh God, bless this miserable woman. The prayer didn't go on much longer. <laughs> if you're challenged by praying, especially praying in public, I have some very good news for you. There's a gathering here at Bethany every Wednesday evening at 6 o'clock, a half hour before the Bible study begins. It's a gathering for prayer that begins with helpful pointers about praying, including praying in public, including how to pray through the Bible, it's an amazing, amazing group. I highly recommend it. Take a shot at it. Additionally, this morning and for the next three Sundays, we'll be walking through the prayer known as the Lord's Prayer, also known as the Our Father. In this prayer, we will see the pattern Jesus gave to his disciples and to all who would follow him for speaking with his Father and our Father. I ask you to join me in the opening line of the Lord's Prayer, as it's given to us by the New International Version of the Bible, the words are on the screen. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. This is the part of the prayer we will focus on this morning. 
And the first thing we notice is that Jesus begins by addressing God. Addressing God. He begins by making the contact with God. He says, Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Our. For nearly 17 months I have been with you. I have spoken out on the Bible's use of pronouns. The reason for this is because we live in a very different world and culture than that of the New Testament times. While I'm not calling us to travel back to first century A.D., we should notice that the difference has significance, and perhaps we should do something about understanding and in part considering adopting something to learn from that era of time. Let me explain. We live in the world of I. I this, I that, iPhone, iPad, I could go on. First century Jews lived in the world of we. We belong to God. We belong to each other. There was a community notion, a togetherness. It's like the difference between psychology and sociology. Psychology is necessary for understanding ourselves and how we function, how we process, how we display what we really believe. Sociology is how we live in community with each other, how we are with other people, how we meet, how we greet, how we participate or don't participate, how we function when things are being difficult that are being said or done, how we respond, how we react. Sociology is how life is really lived. That is more of a we world than an I world. We also live in a world of me. Listen to me. Help me. Look at me. Selfies. Me. It's about me. Me. First century Jews lived in a world of us. God has spoken to us. Us. God loves us. It's true I'm included in that, but it's about us. It's about community. We live in a world of the possessive pronoun my. My home, my car, my church, my Bible, my God, my oh my. How my we have become. First century Jews lived primarily in a world for them of our, our hope, our synagogue, our faith, our scriptures. There's still possession involved, but it's a community orientation. It's the sense of not I, me, my, but we, us, and our. Is it any wonder then that Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer, the prayer he was teaching his disciples, with the word our, our. It's true. A case can be made for private prayer, to speak more personally with God. But Jesus, in teaching his disciples to pray, apparently wants us to be fully aware of others, of community, of we, of us, and our. Life is to be shared, including our prayer life. It's something to do together, as well as personally. Jesus continues, Our Father in heaven. Father. 
a nearness. Father, a family. Father, an intimate connection. Now, granted, there are some sitting within the sound of my voice here this morning for whom the word father does not have pleasant feelings. You've had a terrible experience with a father or a father figure, someone who was not really a genuine father, a caregiver, a nurturer, a helper. I understand that. It's tragic that that has happened. But Jesus is talking here about father in the sense of a good father, a caring father, a consistently true father, one who really has your best interest at heart, a nearness, a family, an intimate connection. For the initial 12, all of whom were Jews, this nearness, this family connection, this intimacy was only somewhat understood and accepted. While their sense of community was important, God for them was really set apart. God was holy, and it was a goal for them to be holy, but they knew they were not holy. God was other, so much so that God's name could not even be uttered in our lips. In his commentary on Matthew, William Barclay tells the story of a Roman emperor coming home victorious from battle. He and his troops were leading the head of this big parade, and behind were the prisoners of war along with the defeated kings and generals, and they were marching into Rome, and the streets were lined with very tall, and this is unusual, tall Italian guards, keeping the cheering people in their places. At one point on the road, there was a platform where the empress and her family were seated to watch the emperor or her husband go by. On the platform with this empress was their youngest son, a small boy. As the emperor came near, the little boy jumped from the platform and burrowed his way through the crowd and tried to dodge between the legs of these large, tall Italian guards on the street's edge to meet his father's chariot. The guard stopped him, swooped him up, held him up, and he said to him, Don't you know who that is? That's the emperor. You can't run out to his chariot. To which the little boy gave a rather wry smile and said, He may be your emperor. He's my father. There was a connection. And Jesus is revealing with the word father that the heart of God for intimacy is real. It's on God's heart. He wants it to be on ours as well in prayer and in life. The Apostle Paul describes this intimacy most directly when he writes to the church in Rome, the Holy Spirit you received brought about your adoption. And by that Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 15. Abba is a word best translated in English with the word daddy, daddy. Or in some cases, papa. Or in some cases, grandfather. Or in some cases, pops. That's my term of endearment name for my grandkids. In fact, Elsa has came to this morning to worship with us. She's now downstairs, but she's usually sitting with Carolyn Our youngest granddaughter has her Elsa gown on today. She wanted to come to church as a princess. 
And she came running up to me in the welcome area before the service began to make sure that I saw her. And she wanted to say, hi, Pops, and give me a hug. This is what God longs for from us. Our Father. All of us are included. And there's a sense of the need for God to know we're intimate with him as he chooses to be with us. Jesus continues, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. God is near, he's with us. But also God is far, he's in heaven. God is intimate, God is also infinite. God is familiar, God is also unfamiliar. God is loving, God is also holy. An image that always comes to my mind when I hear of the holiness of God is found in the New Testament. Peter's been fishing all night and he's caught nothing. I know that feeling. I've done that a few times. He's now on the beach of Capernaum washing his nets and Jesus comes walking by followed by a large crowd of people. And Jesus asks Peter to push his boat just a little offshore There's something wonderful about the sound when you're on the water, if you're speaking from the water towards the shoreline. With my wife's family's vacation home on Lake Winnipesaukee, we can hear the fishermen talking as they are motoring by with their electric motors trying to catch bass along the shoreline. They may be a 100 yards offshore and talking like I'm talking right now without a microphone. We can hear every word, every word, because the sound beautifully carries across the water. And so Jesus is pushed off the shoreline and he's speaking from the boat. And and finally at the end, he asks Peter to put the nets on the other side of the boat for a catch of fish. And Peter says, Lord, All night, we caught nothing. I just washed them. I don't know why they didn't get dirty. But if you say so, I will do that. And so he does. And as he does, the nets get filled with fish to the point that they're beginning to break. The boat is beginning to sink. And here's the part where where Peter catches the holiness of God. He's standing in this boat. He's just pushed off and thrown the nets in. And Jesus is there and he's smiling. (laughs) Peter, I've got you. I have so got you. And Peter backs away and with a look of astonishment says, Lord, get away from me. Get away from me. I'm not a holy man. And you are. There's a sense of not revulsion, but I don't belong here. You are way out there. I'm not there. I'm not even close to there. It's a very appropriate response to Jesus' holiness being revealed to him in that incident of catching fish on the Sea of Galilee. Now, let's be clear. The Sea of Galilee is not a sea. It's a relatively small lake. 
It's about the size of some of the small lakes in Minnesota that I used to fish when we lived out there. Um, But the Hebrew people were not big for the Navy. They never have been. They were a little fearful of the water. Understandably so. It's a shallow lake, so a small storm created large waves. And there's Peter just off the shore of Capernaum on the north end of the Sea of Galilee, Lake Tiberias, it's also called. And he is in awe of this holy Jesus. Thus we've begun to expose both the first four words of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven, and how they reveal how Jesus wants us to address God. If we're going to pray, we need to know how to address God to begin our conversation. Jesus continues his prayer lesson by acknowledging out loud what God wants. He reveals two things that God wants. The first is that God wants us to be more fully acknowledging of his holiness. He's continuing the holiness theme. So he prays, hallowed be your name. God and his name are to be hallowed. That is, they're to be seen and expressed as holy. God is pure. He has no mixed motives. God is without fault. He is spotless. God is without guile. There's no deception in God nor in God's ways. In other words, when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are really saying, may your reputation be honored as holy or as special. And it begins by how we address God, the position of our lives before God and in God. I was told many years ago a story by a preacher that I served under about a mother and her preteen son as they were visiting her parents, the son's grandparents. They played games together. They shared a couple meals together. They enjoyed each other and had a great time. At the end of the visit, the grandfather turned to the boy and said, You made my day. And without hesitation, the boy responded with these words. God made your day. We just put the icing on it. When we ask God to hallow his name, we're asking him to use us to hallow him. God wants us to use, wants to use us to cause people to appreciate him even more. To put the icing on the day that he has made for us to be with them. And the second thing Jesus teaches us in this section of the prayer is that God wants us to show how things are in heaven by how things are for us with how we're living on earth. He prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They're really saying the same thing, but in different ways. God's kingdom is his rule. In other words, his way. And so Jesus makes sure that people understand his kingdom and his way are similar. They are actually the same. It can be translated into God's will being carried out as fully here as it's carried out in heaven. When we declare that Jesus is Lord, which is paramount to salvation, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that so well. If we confess with our lips Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. When we declare Jesus is Lord, we are saying God rules our life. We are saying we are submitting to God's way for living as human beings in this world. He has his way in us 
And we will partner with him in expressing his way through how we are and what we say. A few years ago, when Luis Palau came to Connecticut for a series of of evangelistic crusades, I was privileged to spend a great deal of time with him. I was down in Bridgeport, actually in Easton, Connecticut during that time, was on the planning team for the revival that was to take place on the shoreline in Bridgeport. And one of the memories I have of that honor spending with Luis was in hearing him pray each morning this prayer, Lord, what would you have me to do today? Another way to pray that same thought is this. Lord, what have you got going today? I'd like to be part of what you're doing. That's what I would like to do. Before I apply and conclude. That's what we're praying with the strategic planning team. We call it the dream team. They will be meeting again or for the first time and organizing and meeting with one of our conference um, aides in strategic planning, looking forward to how they develop the small group ministry in our church and clarify the local mission or ministry in our community that we can become fully involved with as a church. Rich, our chair, announced two Sundays ago that Um, The search team is about ready to be organized and asked for people to submit names to the council. The council meets this Tuesday as they put together a search committee for a lead pastor to begin that process. That's exciting. The prayer in both of those cases is this. Lord, you know what strategic plan you want for Bethany Covenant Church. Help us to get on your page. Help us to do your will. Help your kingdom to come through us and Bethany Covenant in these two possibilities. And when it comes to the search team, Lord, you know who you want to come here to be the pastor, the lead pastor of this church, to join this marvelous staff, to join this great congregation with all the possibilities and potentials that are here. Lord, you know who you want. And we pray that you're preparing that person even now. Prepare us to know who that person is too so that together we can experience your will and your way in that person and that person with us. That's the prayer we're praying. That's what Jesus is teaching in this particular prayer. We've just begun diving into it. There'll be more coming in the next three weeks. Let it suffice for today that Jesus teaches us to pray by first acknowledging who God is, our Father in heaven. And second... Acknowledging what God wants, his name and reputation honored, and his ways to be lived out by our lives so that they honor him as a clear example. May the Lord's Prayer remind us of these two paramount truths. Join me as we pray together the early lines of this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen.